Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. And today is everybody's favorite day of the week, the Thursday Collective episode. And we are uh, a full house of sorts today. We've got Mark Pellegrino, who you might know from TV Talk and other shows. What's up? And we've got... You know what that means in England. What does it mean in England? (laughs) I think it's dirty. I don't think it's proper. Oh, now I know I got all those dirty looks the other day when I was in England. And I'm like, hey, peace, man. How you doing? Um, Well, I think it's more like this. (laughs) And we've got a returning scientist, cosmopolitanist, studier of the cosmos. Cosmetologist is what you're reaching for. The doctor. Yes, Amanda, it's me. Hello. Amanda Maxim. Yo, what's up? I picked up the Italian gesture as well. It was very good. Hey. All right. Uh, so listen, guys, I know we like to joke around and have a good time, but we got something serious to talk about. Oh, the no. upcoming election season, which no, that's, uh, that's not serious. It's not that serious. No, I thought still, it was. We're still in the vein of humor. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay. Uh, so Joe Biden uh, reportedly told his former boss obama that he wants to run you know rerun right he wants to run for re-election which i thought is just like a normal thing people expect like when has a president ever retired after one term has that literally ever happened to I either think of probably you? it has happened or or maybe they've been shot before the second term or something Ooh, dark uh, yikes uh, yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to think of anyone who has retired after first term and I can't think of anyone offhand who did it. Uh, the only one I could think of who intentionally retired was after two terms and that was Washington or he could have been president for life. Right. Yes. So he, in, he intentionally retired. The inverse. To, like Millard Fillmore or something. It's probably the answer. Millard. Yeah. Millard, <laughs> Millard, Millard Fillmore. Fillmore. I just know because he is a president and that I know nothing about. So it's possible. He retired. Then, possible. He, then, then he was probably very good. Right. <laughs> No. Yeah, if, you, if you've never heard of him, there's a good chance he didn't do that much damage. But uh, speaking of damage, the inverse of Washington would be, I guess, Franklin Roosevelt, who did like, what, four terms before he died of old age? Like he just would he, not he, leave. He didn't die of old age. He had a stroke in office, so he could have he could have he could still well be president. Going. Yes, he could still be president. Wow. Um, so, um, OK, so Joe Biden told Obama which, yeah, I, when I saw this, I, I was thinking this is like going to be like a joke. Someone's like the onion is making like Biden thinks him and Obama are still in office. And he's like telling Obama. No, this is a real story, though. Biden told Obama reportedly that he's planning to run for reelection. So I guess that answers the Democrat ticket. Like who's going to be the candidate there? The current president. Um, no. And then but the real um, the real question is who will be the candidate for the republicans there is sort of a battle for the soul or lack of soul of the republican party at this point right you've got like the trump era either ending or doubling down or something's going to happen like they need to decide like who are we like you know who's good and i guess we'll we'll get the answer as the as the announcements come in of like who's running for president and then how the primary debates go, maybe that'll start to clarify what are Republicans even running on at this point? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yes. It's, I still find it hard to believe that Biden will be a viable candidate in 2024. A lot can happen in two years and with his, with his degraded condition and the speed with which it's happening. I think we see, uh, not just uh, not just gas, but pretty sad behavior, uh, public behavior on his part. He's he's very confused and and oftentimes uh, goes off on a sort of a babbling rant like I'm doing right now. Um, so so I, I don't know that he'll be in the condition to run in 2024. And clearly, Kamala uh, Harris is not a viable candidate. I don't think anybody would vote for her. So, you know, maybe Hillary will step up to the challenge. She's chomping at the bit to be president of the United States. And people, and I think the Democrats are chomping at the bit to get rid of Biden. Um, but who's the viable one? I thought it might be a Bernie Sanders, to be honest with you. I think he's sort of taking over the leadership uh, of, of the, I mean, the Democrats have been avoiding him like the plague and intentionally marginalizing him, but 
they might not be able to soon enough. He's he picks up enough of the base that maybe that will work. What do you what do you say to that before we get to the Republicans? Is that just crazy? Um, it's not crazy. And I was thinking maybe because uh, the, the squad, you know, AOC and her friends got elected during the Trump era. Uh, someone like Bernie is not seen as a fringe leftist anymore. Maybe he's seen as more of like an old lefty, you know, socialist, democratic socialist, not really socialist, more like a more mixed economy, but more in the big government direction. Whereas the squad, you know, AOC and Ilan Omar are like there. They bring the racial stuff in, the feminist stuff in They're They're like they're bringing in the, the new, the new, 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 new left into the Democrat Party in a way that someone like Bernie might be seen as a as hampering, if anything. Why don't you think Kamala Harris could run? She's a I lady. Think she's, I think she's despised by pretty much everybody. I think she almost has a lower approval rating than Congress, which is really hard to hard to beat. But she's managed to um, or maybe I'm just listening to one side a little bit and not seeing what MSNBC is is saying about her. But as far as I'm concerned and from many of the sources that I I use, uh, she's she's not a serious individual um, and, and she doesn't come off as a serious individual. Um, so I, I don't think I don't think they would be banking on her, to be honest with you. I think, you know, who I think would be a great run is Tulsi Gabbard. I think she would be an amazing Democratic candidate, but I think she's too she skews too far right for the base. But she, she would certainly I think she could win if she if she were the candidate. She is seen as like um, the old type of Democrat, which is not exactly uh, a anything close to what we would like uh, as she's nowhere close to a capitalist. But, yeah, she's uh, she's like in she's become a centrist because of the moving Overton window. She's become like a centrist. She she's got uh, some talk. Some of the things she says sound like Republican talking points these days. Um, like she thinks big tech is censoring conservatives and really, well, she feels she believes that Google censored her and maybe Google did, and, you know, censorship being I'm using the word loosely. But like uh, during one of the primary debates or after it, a lot of people were Googling Tulsi Gabbard and the results were like not showing up. And she believes that Google purposely prevented her from getting exposure because they preferred, let's say, um, uh, sorry, Pocahontas, I forget her name, uh, but they preferred like Google, the people in big tech. So she's an anti big tech person. Uh, she's I mean, so sadly, I think it's in, Sacagawea is what you're reaching for. That's it. Yeah, that's Not exactly Pocahontas. right. You're correct. Um, but yeah, it, it's sad that these days being anti anti big corporation makes you a Republican. But uh, but that's that's kind of uh, how she is. She's um yeah. And she's not on board with the woke. Right. She's not into um, this AOC uh, approach to, to the world, as far as I can tell. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see her running. Uh, I think Democrats reached for the center by having Biden be the nominee. I mean, again, but, not that not that Biden is, you know, my wet dream, but he's he in terms of what else, who else was running. Yeah. Well, but he's pretty much shown himself to be more or less a puppet for what the left wants. So he's not he's not putting the brakes on anything that the left is bringing to the table as far as I can tell. Can you, can you expand on that, that he's a, he's sure he's, he seems to be a proponent. Well, he seems to be a proponent of the green new deal. I mean, he, he reversed even some of the good things that Trump did in, in exec by executive order and, you know, halting, you know, the, uh, the leases, the selling of leases on, on federal land for, for, fossil fuel use, all that stuff is very retrograde, very much in the left wing camp, very much appealing to the base of the left. That's that's all in for this, this reformation of our economics based on uh, this idea of renewable energy that doesn't fit with reality. So he hasn't shown himself to be a centrist as far as I'm concerned. And he, and I think the support for him would be so tepid. I think it's I think it's falling away. What is his approval rating now? It's in the low 40s or high 30s. It's, it's, it's below Trump. And when Trump's was probably the lowest of, of, uh, of any president, uh, you know, at, at the time. Now, I think Biden has even surpassed that. That's his, one of his sole achievements is beating Trump for the lowest approval rating of all time. So um, 
I think at the very least, before we even talk about Republicans, we have a we have a situation that is just ripe for a third party upstart to uh, to come into, uh, you know, to come into their own. I think libertarians have been proposing the idea of a Justin Amash, Tulsi Gabbard uh, team, which I think would be an excellent team. I, I doubt that whatever their primary process is would allow for that sane a team to be elected. Uh, but um, that would be certainly something that I think could challenge anything on the establishment. Yeah, the center is underrepresented, uh, to, to put it lightly. Uh, people that are not on board with uh, this like new right uh, Trump type of republicanism, and they're definitely not into the woke, you know, anti anti free speech or just like this uh, crazy like um, a crazy environmentalist New Deal, Green New Deal and all of that. They're, they're, they're not on board with any of that. They see they, they see both parties as losing losing them. Um, and that. Yeah, I remember uh, Brett Weinstein, the podcaster scientist, was he wanted to get like a couple of like a, a right leaning guy and a left leaning guy or girl like to run together. And, and he was hoping to disrupt the system in 2020. Yeah, that's when the election was 2020. But that never ended up happening. It would be interesting to see if finally we've reached a point in the first time in 160 years or however long it's been when like a third party can become a new winning party, which was the Republican Party at one point. Right. Wasn't Lincoln the first Republican president? Yes, but they ran they ran Fremont before they ran Lincoln. But yeah, huh. they they were definitely Whigs with uh, the Whig Party was, uh, I think, the party at the time. And they were they're Whigs with the abolition with abolitionism sort of mixed in their in their uh, philosophy. But he was the first uh, Republican president. Uh, yeah, for sure. But I, I think we are living in unprecedented times, man. Um, you know, normally you'd say the incumbent would run again, but given his mental condition and given the way in which his popularity is falling, I don't envision anything happening that will uh, lift that up, save some catastrophe that he could somehow use to cohere the public behind him. So I, I, I don't know that that Democrat ticket is, is so stable. And Trump is also the, the wild card too, right? I mean, we don't know how many Republicans are going to support him. Uh, now in the face of DeSantis, who I think is, is making moves in, in Florida and attracting the attention of the Republicans, I think they would see him as a far more viable candidate than a Trump. Um, he appeals to the base and he may appeal to those people who are falling away from the left and trying to be more centrist even though DeSantis doesn't come off as a centrist, he's a hell of a lot more centrist than a guy like Trump appears to be. And so um, I think he would appeal to a lot of the people who are flying off the establishment, right? And um, my only fear is that a guy like Trump is egotistical enough to form his own party. Like he's trying to form his own social media platform. Why not do what Theodore Roosevelt did and form a new bull moose party to, to try to, which will wind up, of course, electing the Democrat. But why not do that? I think he's he's capable of almost anything. You can't predict what a crazy uh, malignant narcissist is, is going to do in any moment. That's true. Um, all right. Let's read a few super chats, shall we? Mary Lee sure. with two dollars says senility senility should be a consideration. Uh, Apollo. Thank you. Marilyn again says Roosevelt died in the company of his mistress. Well, at least he died doing what he well, loved. We also we also know the we also know the, the last words of um, Roosevelt, like we know the last words of John Adams. Right. John Adams said liberty forever, which I think is a great way to go out. Uh, Roosevelt said, I have a tremendous pain in my head. And then he died. Wow. Sorry. Ah, that's that's beautiful. <laughs> Enric with 499 says Lyndon Johnson, whose Vietnam War was unpopular, declared he wouldn't run for reelection. Oh, I did not know that. So Lyndon Johnson replaced Kennedy like by. Default. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. He replaced Kennedy. Then he was then he was elected in 64. 
and could have, because he served, you know, the, the term from vice president, he could have served that second term from 68 on, but decided not to run. That's right, because of the unpopularity of the Vietnam War. Um, so have you heard the tapes of LBJ? Like, apparently they, they recorded all the phone calls that went out of his desk. And uh, if you're not familiar, you can just like right now, everybody that's watching, Google um, uh, LBJ ordering pants. Um, and you can listen to him ordering pants uh, hmm. over the and phone. Is it, is, it, is it crude and racist and <laughs> disgusting? It's it's crude. I don't think it's racist. He's talking let about me, his, let, let, that, that was the civil rights uh, t- uh, discussion he had, where he said <laughs> these N words are going to vote for me for the next hundred years. <clears throat> and he used <laughs> that word quite often. What, 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 what amazes me is that. Uh, and I, I guess it's because the, the psychological establishment, the psychiatric establishment is predominantly leftist. They love to psychoanalyze people on the right. And that's great. I love seeing these psychological profiles of, of crazy people on the right. But they never do it to people on the left. And Lyndon Johnson was one of the most weird, <laughs> evil types that I think he would be perfect fodder for psychoanalysis. He used to take his penis out in the middle of meetings and just why just because it's there because you should see you should see him also there's pictures yeah i guess this is his you know putting a punctuation point on the meeting but he also used to do a thing called the treatment if you watch you look at pictures of him leaning over people and people leaning back he would get into their space to try to intimidate them and he was just a, a vicious philandering a crude horrible horrible man why aren't they psychoanalyzing that guy you could because there's hours and hours of footage of his phone calls including him ordering pants which is a pants. a, a mm. good window into uh <laughs> lbj wow now i gotta look it up but um yeah it's also i would think it's kind of unprofessional of like psychologists and psychiatrists who took an oath you know they've agreed to be professional and then for them to like publicly diagnose various conservatives as they tend to do is is i don't know maybe a disbarable offense to borrow the a phrase from the lawyer industry but i wouldn't mind i wouldn't mind it if they if they gave equal time to their idols true uh, true frank it is franklin franklin roosevelt was a, a a treasure trove of psychological stuff baggage right it sounds like he was oh oh yeah Pathological liar, chain smoker, alcoholic, philanderer. Come on, man! Wow, he's 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 overdue for a movie. That's what I think, or a or a series, really. Uh, that would be cool. Uh, Jonathan says, "Does any party support any element of individual rights? Does any individual politician, except Mark's party, referring to the capitalist party?" No, uh, no, I don't think so. And Marilyn, again, thank you. Then Jonathan says, you can't get a getter party without a better culture. To which Robert answers him in the super chat, you can't get a better party without a better culture, end quote. Sure, but two more years of ARC UK and we'll have this culture fixed. Well, that's uh, quite a <laughs> vote of confidence slash pressure placed on the channel. But um, yeah, I mean, so ultimately, uh, everyone wants a political Band-Aid, right? Like everyone wants the, the certain, a certain person to be president. People talk about, can a capitalist ever be president? Are we ever going to see that? It's really about like, is the culture going to become capitalist? Is the culture going to be um, individualistic? So it's less about the, the president educating the public, but more like the public needs to change its approach to what they want out of their politicians. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Although a, a president has, I mean, you can see why it's an attractive idea, right? Because the president has a huge influence over like not only the laws of a country, but also what people are thinking about and talking about. And it could be amazing to have someone in there that's, you know, even 10% clear on individual rights, for example. That would be awesome. But yeah, for, for yeah, then the culture yeah. point brings me down. Yeah, for all of his faults, I think Reagan was called the great communicator for a reason. I thought for for the most part, his his message was um, was probably one of the best articulated uh, messages with respect to what Americanism is 
that has come along in a long, long, long time. We need somebody like that who's serious about individual rights and serious about doing some of the things that he suggested he would do. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can uh, look at the Republicans now. They went through a bit of a change, I think, in the last 10 years. So like 10 years ago, you had like the whole Tea Party thing more like 12 years ago. But yeah, when Obama was in office, the Republican Party, I mean, elements of the Republican scene said, we are capitalists. We believe in individual rights. We are like the last of the founding fathers. We are going to fight this socialist Obama. And, um, you know, you saw people you saw like uh, free market literature and free market talking points all over the place. Um, the Republican Party would then run like candidates would run using those talking points. Um, of course, the Republicans nominated the very um, not extreme capitalist Romney. That was like their answer to Obama. Let's find the one Republican who created Obamacare before Obama did in Massachusetts. So let's 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 send that guy out there to run against Obama. Um, and uh, of course, Donald Trump was then like a game changer, like he changed the whole culture among Republicans. He was resisted. He was resisted by never Trumpers who turned out most of them to be they, they became. Well, maybe maybe sometimes Trumpers if the if the left needs to be defeated. Um, and now it's like the question is, what is what's next? You know, in the aftermath of Trump, in the aftermath of all the chaos, all the shenanigans, who are the Republicans going to run Next, are there, is it going to be another Trump-like nationalist, a, a tariff man like Trump, or is it going to be more of an in, like someone who pays lip service to free markets and individual rights? That's what I'm wondering. I'm, I think the populist uh, nationalist narrative is very strong in the Republican Party right now. I think all all of the main pundits and intellectuals are following it. Um, even intellectuals, uh, you know, like the one you're on. Uh, debated, who was a, a very sound thinker, a very good thinker, nonetheless are behind the, that, at least the nationalist narrative, they think it's appropriate. So I don't think anybody in the right is going to break away from that anytime soon. Um, and that includes a DeSantos, who I, who I think embodies that message just as Trump did, but I think a little with a little bit more um, groundedness. Or, or, what's, uh, or, what's the nationalist message? What do you mean by that? The nationalist message was sort of embodied in, in Trump's version of America first, which which didn't mean which didn't mean, uh, you know, American interests in the sense that we mean it when we're talking about diplomacy and, and, and free exchange. But yeah, because then we would have said America only. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But they, uh, but the idea is America. Yeah, America first is sort of placing America not not just as a priority as we would say it our our interests are a priority but America first as in in the competition with other states which means uh, which brings with it a certain a certain kind of um, approach to trade you know high tariffs against everybody else trying to stimulate internal trade and in, internal uh, uh, industry manufacturing uh, supposedly, so we're not dependent on other nations, but to, you know, to, to build us up. It's a mercantilist idea that wealth accumulated within the country is what makes us wealthier as opposed to free exchange and innovism um, that a free market brings. Yeah. And, um, you know, people don't like me bringing this up, but at, like ask, why is it that the alt-right, the, the, the openly racist um, new right loved Trump when he first ran and and wanted him to win. And I think Richard Spencer, the, the guy who coined the term alt-right, he put it eloquently in an interview where he said, what we loved about Trump is that he was speaking about America, not in terms of its founding principles, not in its founding documents, but the, a very finite, like a very particular geography with a certain group of people living on that land. That is what the ethno-nationalists like about Trump. That doesn't mean Trump himself is racist. It just means there's a reason that he appeals to these people. It's his lack of uh, intellect. It's his lack of principles. The fact that he's anti-intellectual, doesn't know what America's founding principles are. He, To them, he, I think they rightfully see him as signifying a move in the direction they want to move. 
And that's yeah. uh, and that's that's what I think he's proven to have done. Now, today, Republicans are embarrassed, many of them, or they cannot run on America's founding principles. They need to run on beating China or, or that, I'm, I'm assuming that's what how they're going to speak. Beating sure. China, you know, uh, tariffs, you know, to protect American jobs and all of that BS. So. Um, it's going to be interesting, you know, f- censor, uh, regulating big tech or blah, blah, blah with, you know, to uh, nationalize the big yeah. Internet companies. So and, and conflating and conflating the globalist political vision with global exchange so that, you know, they close their markets. We close our markets and become, you know, more or less economically isolated, which is their freaking goal. Yeah, that's really interesting. Raka. You said about the they're grouping Americans together, not by some sense of freedom or individualism or even like founding principles, but by we live in this geographic area. I'm like that coming from a racist makes total sense. It's yeah. And uh, sans a good philosophy, that sort of approach ends up bringing in more and more people like they don't actually know what it what made America great anyway, you know, make America great again. But what made America great? Is it it's like, what is it? Is it is it individualism? No, they see it, They say because they see the left. They see the social justice left as being, quote, individualistic because everyone's making up a new gender and everyone all these subjectivists are seen as like they see the pursuit of happiness as having failed. They see capitalism and commercialism and uh, consumerism as basically being uh, forces for malaise. Um, so a lot of people, they're sort of turning away from America's founding principles. And they're they're kind of asking, you know, maybe it really just is like this group of people, you know, for one reason or another, they're more successful. You know, the, the British, the Germans, the Europeans who moved to America, maybe we need to you know, uh, kind of end stop it there. We don't need people moving from from Mexico or from China or from anywhere that's, um, you know, that's not one of, quote, our country. So they don't understand um, they don't understand the Enlightenment or they they think they understand it and they reject it. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think the right and Republican or con- the conservative movement, I should say, the Republicans are just just a party. Um, but the conservatives have definitely morphed into this um, kind of materialistic um, mindset that kind of rejects the significance of philosophy. That's my estimation of things. I hope I, I hope I turn out to be exaggerating. No, I think you, I, I think you're right. I think I, and I think that was highlighted in the debate with Yaron, uh, you know, where you see the Republicans have, have re- rejected rationalism, which they which they equate with the the left. And that means idealism separated from reality is, you know, not ideas, not grounded in reality. And they've embraced empiricism, you know, this immediate, you know, what we have in the moment sort of pragmatism uh, and, and in the, in the course of that has have rejected integrated philosophy. And that's a scary, that's a scary thing because that's the intellectuals on the right who are doing that, you know, not just the everyday folks, but the intellectuals on the right are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's definitely not the same Republican. I keep saying Republican interchangeably with conservative. It's not the same conservative movement that it used to be. And I've pointed out uh, I'm not the first to point out that conservatives. I think Michael Malice actually put it this way. Conservatives are progressives driving the speed limit. Um, And you see, you know, what 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 leftists were progressives were 110 years ago are today's Trumpian Republicans, you know, nationalists. Um, elevating this national identity above the rights of the individual, the interests of the community. I mean, it's it's everything that uh, conservatives used to rail against. And but with the passage of time, a new generation of conservatives walk walk American soil, and you know they are yesterday's progressives. I say. Um, so I have a question about where like where conservative intellectuals come from, because if it's the <clears throat> case that in universities it's a lot of left-leaning professors and intellectuals like where do the conservatives get their training to become an intellectual like where do they come from i know where trump came from he came from the television but what about the rest of them i mean i think yeah, they mark from, you have something i think i mean i think they come from the same establishments they've just they've just um come to different conclusions hmm. um and in some respects i think that makes them much stronger and more independent minded than, you know, the people who fall into lockstep with 
with the ideas that they've that they've had to ingest from K through 12 all the way through college. But um, yeah, they've for some reason uh, reasons unclear to me. They've they've gone another way. Hmm. Some of yeah. them, some of them are are left folks like the Michael Medveds of the world and Dennis Prager, Thomas Sowell, who who embraced left wing values, and and uh, in the with Medved and Dennis Prager, they were Democrats. With uh, Sowell, he was a Marxist, and then through experience, uh, sort of grew allowed the experience to change their perspectives. Yeah, I mean, generally former Democrats end up like becoming the, the new Republicans. I mean, this happened in, during the Cold War. I think former communists became the what are the neocons, right? Like the neoconservatives, um, because they decide, you know, they realize communism and the Soviet Union is too extreme or like or it failed or however they how whatever made them leave that camp, they became Republicans and uh, their their foreign policy is very altruistically mo motivated. And you can see the result of that with Bush's uh, foreign policy. Um, and and yeah, recently, it, more recently, we see people like Prager and Medved leaving the Democrat Party. Even more recently, we see people like Dave Rubin and other uh, Democrats, left leaning people, leftists leaving, saying I left the left. But what are they bringing with them? They're not really bringing um, they're not bringing real individualism. They're not bringing a rational philosophy to the Republican Party. They're just bringing yesterday's Democrat positions, right? And that's and that's what we keep seeing. So we, we, we just keep seeing conservatives echoing yesterday's progressives. It's so sad to see somebody like Dave Rubin go over to the Republican side when he had ample opportunity with objectivists, ample interviews with objectivists like you, me, you're on and uh, so many others that um, it could have influenced him. And, and, and it makes me wonder why, what, what is it that the Republicans are offering? Are they offering, what, what, what is it that they're touching that makes the, that makes them, you know, uh, pull, pull people from the left to their camp as opposed to our camp? I mean, one of the considerations is that people's values are kind of intertwined with their philosophy. So Ruben's career and his friends and his future opportunities are clearly intertwined with the Republican party and the conservative movement and all of that. So like, what's he going to, what should he have been so inspired by talking to objectivists that he walks away from all of it? And yes. I mean, that would be nice, but you know, he's not uh, he's not a 15 year old reading the fountainhead, right? Like, that's why I think the, the like ARI and, and people interested in spreading objectivism, they properly see young people as the people likely to be inspired because it, it's hard to get a 40 year old guy with a career um, to, to, to adopt this new radical philosophy. That's how I see it. So, but you're saying he's, he chose he chose popularity and wealth at the expense of integrity. I had a bit more of a benevolent uh, way to put it, which is like his values were tied to, you know, his community, his friends. He met Donald Trump. He's friends with Trump Jr. I mean, that's got to be an exciting thing. If you're not yet objectivist, try to go back to, you know, young Mark. You know, you meet the president and he's super nice to you and your husband in this hypothetical. You're you're married to a guy with the same name as you, by the way, both named Dave. Um you know, it's like, again, it's like, are you supposed to be so inspired by by, you know, talking to objectivists that like I don't, it, it, but is that is that is that right? Do you think to, to say it's lack of integrity? I'm, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be like, no, uh, I just, it's not right. But it, it cer certainly it certainly feels like that when you have the you have the contrast in front of you, you have the capacity to see the differences between these ideas and which is objectively better. And you choose the one that will get you the most clicks, the most follows and the most money, as opposed to the one that's right. Now, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that's his motivation at all. I think I think it's I think he was seduced by Jordan Peterson, to be honest with you. And I think there is a degree of, you know, there is there is a degree of this once you get into a certain circle and you start meeting certain people, there's an intoxication to that sense of I'm meeting these famous people and they like me. I could see one being a little bit uh, 
overwhelmed by that and not wanting to be outside and not wanting to be outside that loop once they're in the inner circle it probably feels pretty devastating to be pushed out right mm -hmm. now uh, one but one uh, big piece of this puzzle of of the the enigma of dave rubin that needs to be mentioned is that he went on tour with jordan peterson now jordan peterson is no lightweight he's he's affecting many people he's inspired many many people who might have otherwise let's say been open to someone like ayn rand or might have ended up who knows where so peterson is a is a uh heavy lifting uh intellectual in the in the times he's got we live a lot in. of like actually inspiring things to say too i mean i've been inspired by jordan peterson he's got i mean tremendous things to say about uh you know how to to be a mature person especially to men like how to be be a how to, you know, be a man. And also um, he comes down really hard on socialists and that's really exciting too. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if, again, if you try to imagine life before Ayn Rand, like if you had never uh, sort of been exposed to Rand's philosophy and someone like Jordan Peterson comes along now, Ruben had been exposed to Ayn Rand's philosophy, but you know, he goes on tour with Jordan Peterson. He's watching Peterson, do his thing every night and listening to his content. And again, add in the fact that, you know, uh, Ruben's career seems to be moving in that, you know, seems to be in moving in the direction that Peterson is, is moving. It just, I think, you know, it would be very, very remarkable if someone in Ruben's position were to feel so strongly about objectivism that he becomes an objectivist. I'm, you know, um, I think the, 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 the goal always was to reach Ruben's audience more than Ruben himself. Although I, as much as anyone, more than anyone, thought I could actually reach Ruben himself. I was like agitating, urging him, like, come on, don't you, don't you see it? Um, but, uh, you know, live and learn, I guess. We've got a few more super chats. Marilyn says, Mike K says Michelle Obama could run. All right. Uh, Jonathan Honig with 499. She, she would win if she if really. She, uh, Ooh, yeah, that's interesting. I think, I think she would. Really? I thought uh, she's not that popular. Like, um, I mean, I think she is. I think she is amongst her oh. base. And I think she would generate quite a bit of interest outside of that base. There's not a lot of bad press about her. She's uh, she's flown under the radar in that respect. So um, I think she would win. Interesting. People used to say about Hillary Clinton, oh, like no, she's unbeatable because people, they, they miss Bill Clinton. You know, this is, they were saying during the Bush years, like I miss Bill, you know? So as if Hillary runs, she's an easy win. And of course, Obama was the uh, disruptor of that uh, shoe in. And, uh, and then once Hillary Clinton was secretary of state, I think the Benghazi situation uh, really tainted her view. So now people see her as a face of corruption. Whereas, yeah, back in the day, Hillary was seen as like uh, everyone's favorite candidate. Do you, do you recall well, things I, the same I, way? I, I do recall that there was a lot of hype about that, but I think it was a lot of hype. I think she's always been unpopular, especially with the right. Um, she was seen as sort of Eleanor Roosevelt-ish you know, the not the power behind the throne, the person sort of really directing things, uh, uh, you know, really pushing the agendas that Clinton, that Bill Clinton tried to pass. And uh, yes, yeah, certainly after Benghazi, but some of her interviews, I think, show her to be truly power lusting. I mean, she has deep ambition for this office, for the office of the presidency. And I think that should be a disqualifier for the office right off the bat if somebody wants it that badly, as she as she has clearly demonstrated she she does. And 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 look, I think that the more this Durham investigation goes on, and the deeper they dig into um, Crossfire Hurricane, and and the deeper the the more they find Hillary Clinton's complicity in in uh, and trying to undermine the Trump campaign, I think even more of her corruption is going to become apparent um, in the next couple of years. So I don't know. I, I, I think she'll, she'll never become president, but she'll definitely, she'll have to die to stop trying. Seems that way. Seems that way. Uh, all right. Jonathan Honig says, quote, America first is racist collectivism. Uh, yeah, certainly a lot of the people who say that phrase are racists. Uh, I don't know if America first inherently. I mean, I think I know what Jonathan means. 
that phrase is, uh, you know, it's been used definitely by people that are not individualists. Uh, no, I mean, Jonathan, that's a problem with such a little tiny phrase is like you can kind yeah. of insert whatever view you want into it. And mm-hmm. that's so it's I don't know. I don't yeah, even like know you what said, that means. It should be America only like America. America's <laughs> government is here to protect the rights of Americans. It's not about first we take care of us and then we're going to take care of the world or, or, or interfere in, with the world. Jonathan, again, with 499 says today's biggest conservative stars, Ted Cruz, Candace Owen, J.D. Vance, all used to be never Trump. They went where the money and power was. I don't know who J.D. is. I would doubt that Candace Owens was a never Trumper because she's so young. Right. Wasn't she like in barely out of high school when Trump first started running? So are you sure about that, Jonathan? Yeah, I I don't know if she was a never Trumper either, but uh, I don't know. That's I'm not sure about that, but they. They're, they're certainly now darlings of the Republican Party. Yeah. Uh, now, Candace Owens, I think her sort of introduction to the world, she called herself red pill black. You know, she's red pilled, mm-hmm. you know, like she took the red pill, red pill black. because And then, she's not, and then she know. joined up with Charlie Kirk. And I think that's what really put her over the top. Yeah. Now, Charlie Kirk himself, uh, could, it could be the topic of a full episode. He um, he was a Yaron Brook fan back in the day. Like he was one of these Republican young conservatives who was into the Tea Party and all that, you know, individual rights language. And uh, and then Trump happened and then Trump happened. Um, all right. We got Robert with uh, five dollars saying Jordan Peterson's popularity is largely due to his rules and aphorisms. Too bad about his philosophy. Something I'll mention on today's life on Earth. And uh, there was uh, the recent Harry Binswanger TV episode on this channel is about Jordan Peterson. It's, I think, performing quite well and uh, and for good reason. So everyone check that out if you haven't. Uh, it's good, to, good, good to get like a, like, a, you know, a very seasoned, you know, a very advanced objectivist to talk about uh, contemporary influential intellectuals. I think that's exactly uh, the type of content that uh, that I like and that many of you probably like as well. And the world can use. All right. Uh, We covered the upcoming election season and some of more. Uh, One more thing is I it's been roughly a year, I guess, since it occurred to me I could leave California. That's I think that's around this time last year. Mark, any update with you? Are you thinking about it or or what? I'm still thinking. Yeah, thinking about it. We made an offer on a place in Tennessee. Wow. uh, Nashville. But there were nine offers on that same house that very same day from probably from people from California and in, in the industry uh, moving out there. So uh, we're in a holding pattern right now trying to figure out exactly where we want to stay. But it's got to be a place that has a, a pretty good state constitution, very little and, and asks very little of us while we're there so that we can you know, live our lives the way we see fit. That's amazing. You made an offer on a house. That is no joke. That is no uh no uh, empty rhetoric um all right well uh there's some uh, real estate in austin looks very promising in case you're thinking about uh investing or living somewhere that's not nashville um and amanda are you moving or are you already in a in a in a fairly free state i don't actually know where you live no, and you I'm don't s- need to tell us <laughs> okay i'm in california and i don't oh, like yeah, it that's right yeah, yeah. i, I want to get out <laughs> yeah so uh time to get out i go to time. las vegas by the way Okay. Back to Vegas. Back to Vegas. Is that where you're yeah. from? No, it's just where I went to school. I loved it there. Yeah. Las Vegas is, uh, it's like the anti-Europe. It's a testament to the new, right? In Europe, mm. we're just so excited. They're so excited about like finding old stuff underneath the old stuff that's underneath the really old stuff. And uh, in Las Vegas, something's five years old. They, they put dynamite in it and blow it up. And then put something new there. And that's what I love about Vegas. Yeah, it is like the antithesis of uh, the old world. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting. I thought about Vegas. That was the first place that occurred to me to go. Like I wasn't ready to contemplate moving that far from California. So first I thought of Vegas. Then I expanded my horizons a bit. Uh, Jonathan Honig with 499 says she ran a liberal blog. Oh, I think talking about Candace Owens. She ran a liberal blog, wrote that she launched an unofficial full-scale investigation into the batshit crazy antics of the Republican Tea Party. Is is he are you talking about Candace Owens um, there, Jonathan? But would not shock me if if that's what she said. But um, 
Yes. This is one of those times it would help to let us know who you're actually talking about. This happens a lot. People super chat or they comment and they're responding to something that someone said at that very moment. And we only see it 15 minutes later. He says, yes, yes. Hmm. He could be saying like, yes, it would be nice for you to move to Austin. Or he could be saying, yes, that was Candace Owens. Well, but I mean, she was red pilled. So, I mean, she could have started off there and, and then seen, seen the matrix. Red pill black. That's right. And Roland says, my thoughts exactly on Vegas. Thank you for the super chat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Vegas, right. baby. We all Bill. know uh, we all know who we're going to party with if uh, if Amanda moves to yeah, Vegas just, and, like, and we travel. Prepare to feel like you're a rotisserie chicken in the summertime, though. So if you aren't ready for that, don't go to Vegas. But if you want Christmas lights all year round and to feel like the world is your playground, go to Vegas. I like that. All right. Well, everybody, uh, where should Amanda move or where should Mark move is, is really the question. Uh, let us know in the comments. Please leave a like on this video and subscribe if you're not. Uh, there's a good chance we're going to open up memberships feature on this channel very soon. So uh, might want to keep an eye out for that. You're gonna There's going to be a join button that'll enable you to access ex new emojis that you can post and you'll have a special Ooh. green name, maybe some exclusive content. You're going to love it. Trust me on that. All right. Coming up today at 7 p.m. UK time, it's Enjoy Parenting with Lisa Van Dam and Kyle Steele. They're going to talk about the, quote, conflict at the park. Oh, What's that all about? Is I've that been there. <laughs> conflict at the park. Yeah. Is this like know. a, is this like a, oh, okay. I was like, is there something know, in the like, news or is it no, sounds like no, the, the kids I, had a fight or something? Yeah. It sounds like it's something in the child news all the time. You know, you're at the yeah. park, you meet new kids or suddenly friends, and then there's a conflict. Yeah. Now underrated moment in, uh, in the Pe Pellegrino debate, uh, saga is with Zuby. Zuby says they were debating abortion and Zuby says, are you, a, are you a dad? And Mark says, yeah. And Zuby says, like, I can't believe you can be a dad and still not be upset by something like abortion and by killing a fetus. And Mark says, well, I'm a stepdad. <laughs> Underrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. And it was so organic, too. Like, it, it flew right by. Like, yeah. All right. So that's coming up. Oh. <laughs> this is the greatest moment since my uh glitching <laughs> <moment. laughs> that's really <laughs> i love oh, it that like you think you you think that you're funny that's amazing that's the best <laughs> position to be in <laughs> <laughs> i would have thought that was tragic if i actually you know could saw what was coming out of my mouth at the moment but it's great <laughs> Tragedy yeah. becomes comedy um, a few months yeah. later. Yeah. And I think uh, Zuby was in town a few days ago. Someone on social media posted him at Z he was at Zilker Park. Wow. Imagine you, you could Conflict be hanging out with park. Zuby at the park if you would uh, if you would live here. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sold or what? All right. Um, <laughs> so that's at 7 p.m. UK time. Enjoy parenting. Then at 10 p.m. UK time, it's Life on Earth with Robert and Amy Naser. They're going to be talking about aphorisms. Fast food philosophy and philosophy misspelled with an F. Why? Watch and find out. All right, yeah, everybody. Because going through the drive-thru is amazing. That's why. There's an aphorism for you. Is it amazing? Or are you? Oh, yes, it is. Even at night when you have to, like, wait, like, 45 minutes? Where are you going? Just go to McDonald's. It's, like, one minute before from the time you order to when you get your food. It's always exactly what you wanted. I do not go to McDonald's. One of you is getting paid by McDonald's. Um, I'm a I'm a Taco Bell guy. If I'm going to get oh, something yeah. to eat late at night, it's all about Taco Bell. The other night, they just keep closing early. Like they just close whatever time they want. So after waiting in line to get to the speaker section, they go, I right, we're only taking mobile orders now. <laughs> So I'm no. already in line. So now my car is rolling to the window and I'm downloading the Taco Bell app and trying to order it. And it's too late to order. And the lady at the window is just like, okay, what did you, what did you want to get? She just gave me free food. She, ah. she let you ring your bell at the bell. That's great. Thank you. I Taco love the Taco Bell, Bell too. 
Yes. Now she's going to be fired. I'm sorry to say if they see this episode, but that's the sacrifice <laughs> I'm willing used, to make. We used to call it toxic smell, but that's not very nice because it's amazing. As far as fast food goes, I think Taco Bell is my favorite, but, uh, yeah. but maybe not. Maybe it's maybe I'm. Um, I do El Pollo Loco. If I'm going to go that route, I do El Pollo Loco. That's a good one too. The green sauce there. You got to get extra. Oh yeah. Green sauce is great. And so is their creamy cilantro dressing. If you get their salad, you put that creamy Ooh. cilantro dressing it's to die for. Yeah. I don't know if I ever had that, but uh, it reminds me of El Palo Armando's from Breaking Bad. That's true. <laughs> Did you know that the actual house from Breaking Bad, someone, some lady lives there. She put up a big fence around it, like a see-through fence, and she sits around pissed off. If anyone drives by and takes a picture of the house, she takes a picture of the license plate and calls the police right away. So like she's dedicated her life to like chasing away tourists rather than, I don't know, charging them money to take a picture or I don't know, not living there. She wants to live in that house and, and fight this never ending uphill battle on quicksand. God, that, that is almost as bad as saying, well, I'm a stepdad. <laughs> True. <laughs> Jonathan Honig with 499 says Zanku chicken. Um, all I can say is if you think their hummus and tahini or not even tahini, if you think their hummus is taste remotely acceptable, you are not. Yeah, from the but Middle you're East. cheating. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You came from the Middle East and the, the hummus there is on a whole different level. Yeah. But Zanku chicken is pretty cool, too. There used to be a place called Kukuru that was amazing and it shut down. But Kukuru was great. I think uh, Kuku Riku is the Israeli way to say cockle doodle do as a chicken. <laughs> so maybe it's a Mexican thing, too, or something. I don't know. Or or Middle Eastern sounds like anyway. OK, anyway, the show ended five, uh, 15 minutes ago. Actually, we're not even live on the air anymore. I don't I don't know. I'm kidding. Oh, good. All right. No. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, guys. It was great to talk politics and more. Uh, we'll be back. The Daily Objective back here tomorrow. Philosophy Friday. That's going to be a good episode. Thank you all. And you. goodbye. <laughs>